Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Panado. So have you ever wondered why the book of Daniel, the book which contains the great and the cosmic themes of apocalyptic prophecy, a book that reveals the future of the world, that reveals the rise and the fall of nations from the time of Daniel to the very end. Why does this book begin with a story about four youth, four young people? In Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, the Bible says that these were young men. Sometimes we think of Daniel as an old man, isn't that right? As an old man with a a big, large beard and gray hair. Uh, But the truth is that the book of Daniel begins when they were just young men. In fact, when you work out the chronology of the book of Daniel, you come to realize that Daniel uh, wasn't just a, a young man, but most likely he was a youth. He was an adolescent. He was a teenager. He couldn't have been more than 13, 14, at max 17 years old. This book starts, this book of Daniel starts with a story of four adolescents, four teenagers, four 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. And so let's try to enter into their experience this morning. Imagine along with me, these four adolescents, 13-year-olds, have just come out of a war zone. Their nation, Israel, has been invaded by a foreign power. Their city has been destroyed. The flames and the smoke from Solomon's temple can still be seen, and the smell of soot is still in the air. Daniel's parents have most likely been killed. They are now captives of a foreign power. They are made to walk on foot, on foot, the thousand miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. And you can see it highlighted on the map in red. A thousand miles from Jerusalem to Babylon on foot. That's roughly a trip that takes them days. It takes them weeks. It takes them months. That's approximately the distance from Jacksonville to New York City. Imagine walking that on foot. And now they are in a country whose language they do not understand. Have you ever been in a place where you don't speak the language? I remember it happened to me once in 2005. I was was flying from Washington, D.C. to Greece. And in our flight, we had a layover. I had to switch planes in France. And I don't know why I didn't think about it, but it didn't hit me until I walked outside the door of that airplane. And all the signs were in French. And everyone spoke French and no one spoke English. And I had never felt so vulnerable before in my life. Now, thankfully, I made it to my terminal. But but, uh, my sister has um, has this saying that she's kind of passed on to me. She says, fake it till you make it. So even though I had no idea where I was going, I pretended like I was confident. And thankfully, I did make it to the right terminal on time. But here, Daniel, if we can enter into their experience, if we can imagine what they were going through, they are now in a different country. They don't understand the language. They are captives. For the majority of us here, this may be difficult to imagine. There's probably just a handful here 
who have actually been in a war zone or lived in a war zone. We can thank God that for the safety of our country, for the safety of our community, our country has never been invaded. We are not foreigners here. This is our country. We understand the language. This is home and there is peace and there is safety here. Yet Daniel and his three friends were going through captivity from war into a new experience that they had never felt before, they had never seen before. And again, they are but adolescents, 13, 14, 15 years old. Yet Daniel and his three friends were privileged in that they were chosen, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 1, they were chosen to serve the king. But in order to serve the king, it required them to be trained for three years, learning the language, the wisdom, the literature, and the science of Babylon. And what I want to say here this morning, my friends, is do not underestimate the power of ideas. Ideas indeed are powerful. Daniel and his friends, they were intelligent. The Bible tells us in verse 4, they were intelligent, they were well-educated, they were smart, they were sharp. And while living in Israel, while living in Jerusalem, they had been educated in the truth. But now they were to be educated in a sophisticated system, a sophisticated system of education based in a mixture of error and truth. You see, not everything that is taught in Babylon is false. There is much truth in Babylon. But the loom of Babylonian knowledge, it weaves its fabric in such a way that it is very difficult to discern where truth ends and error begins. Don't, my friends, underestimate the power of ideas. Do we ever wonder why our children... After spending 16 plus years in secular schools, after spending 16 plus years in environments that are hostile to Christian beliefs, environments that are hostile to Christian values and to Christian practices, have we ever wondered why after being through, going through their educational system, they no longer believe and have faith and no longer have an interest in church or in God? I mean, just for perspective... Our children spend eight hours a day, five days a week for 16 plus years in school. That's 40 hours a week in school. Our children spend more time at school than they do at home. They spend more time with their friends than they do with their family. And so we have 40 hours a week in a secular environment. And then maybe on the weekend, maybe on Sabbath, they may spend an hour or two at church. Don't underestimate the power of ideas. And you can see the change in the children. I mean, kids love coming to church when they're eight, nine, and there's a children's story, and then we have fun little games. We have children's church for them. But then something happens when they turn about 13, 14, 15. You can see it in their eyes. They lose interest in church. Church becomes boring. Church becomes irrelevant to them. That's why we as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in Christian education. 
Not that Christian education and Seventh-day Adventist education is perfect because it's not. Not that Seventh-day Adventist education is a guarantee because it's not. But we should do everything we can to place our children in an environment that will encourage faith and that will teach the truth. Don't underestimate the power of ideas. Even now as a minister of the gospel, when I read arguments in favor of naturalism or in favor of deep time or of evolution, I can recognize that there are some really good arguments out there in favor of these ideas. Another subject that is popular today is the question of equality of marriage and the practice of homosexuality. And when I read about it, I can recognize that there are some really good arguments out there in favor for these practices. When I read papers against the Seventh-day Adventist faith, I recognize that there are some really good arguments out there against the Adventist church. And I've seen many a person lose their way because of these ideas. Ideas which were too much for them. These Babylonian ideas were too overwhelming for them. These Babylonian ideas entered their minds and entered their hearts and it bewitched them and their spell could not be broken. Babylon, my friends, is no joke. The ideas of Babylon are not superficial. The enticement of Babylon is not fictitious. And I think that we do a disservice to ourselves and to our youth in not having respect for opposing thoughts and ideas. Or or when we ridicule those who engage in alternative lifestyle practices, you see, our youth won't be satisfied with superficial answers. Well, just do it because that's how we've always done it. That answer just won't cut it. Our youth, like Daniel and his three friends, our youth, they are intelligent. Our youth are smart, and our youth have access to information like never before. And what we have to do is we have to create an environment and to place them in environments where they can develop a strong faith in God, an intelligent faith in God, environments where it's safe to ask difficult questions, and and environments that can equip them for them to be able to find the truth. Because as good as the arguments against Christian faith and practice are, truth, my friends, is deeper yet and more profound. And so returning to our story here, Daniel and his three friends, 13, 14 years old, adolescents, They are now in Babylon and they are now to study the science and the literature of Babylon. And the king is is gracious with them. Not only does he choose them to be trained for his service, but he also gives them the food and the wine from his table. Now in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, read along there with me. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself, the Bible says, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now that word there, defile, 
to the Hebrew audience, a Hebrew who would be reading this right here in verse 8, and he would see that word defile, that word defile would immediately hint and immediately would bring up the dietary laws of clean and unclean foods found in Leviticus chapter 11. In fact, turn there in your Bibles right now. Leviticus chapter 11. In Leviticus chapter 11, here the Lord gives commands to Moses about the types of meat that can be eaten. And the meats are divided between clean meats, which can be eaten, and unclean meats, which God commands us not to eat. And if you haven't read this chapter, I encourage you to to read it and become familiar with it. But that word there defile in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 to the Hebrew mind immediately would bring this chapter to mind. In fact, let's read Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 43. Notice what the Bible says. Notice what God says here. Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 43. It says, do not defile yourself. Some other translations say, do not make yourself abominable or detestable. The New International Version says here, do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made clean, unclean by them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be what? Holy because I am holy. And so when we read in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat, it indicates to us that something on that platter, something on that table, as generous as the king was with them to give him a portion from his food, there was something on that table that Daniel could not eat, that he recognized that God had called him not to eat. But not only does it stop with the food, but let's go back to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. He says, he would not defile himself with the royal food and wine. Wine. Now, of late, it seems that Christians are discussing the issue of whether it is proper or appropriate for Christians to drink alcoholic beverages. I think the Bible is very clear, though. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 29. We don't have time right now to to study the issue of of wine in the Bible. Uh, The truth is, depending on the context, um, sometimes when the Bible speaks about wine, it's speaking about unfermented grape juice. Other times when it's speaking about wine, depending on the context, it's speaking about alcoholic, an alcoholic beverage of fermented wine, fermented grape juice. But notice the clear prescriptive word of the Lord regarding the subject. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Have you ever had needless bruises? We won't ask how you got them. Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Verse 30. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Verse 31, the Bible says, what does the Bible say? Verse 31, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake And poisons like a viper. Let's keep reading. Your eyes will see strange sights. 
and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Is not the Bible clear? I mean, we could argue about the, the context of, of whether Jesus made, made fermented alcoholic wine or not, or whether it was grape juice, but the prescriptive word of the Lord is do not gaze on wine when it is red. Now, some people like to take a little, you know, a little bit extra literal, and they say, okay, so it's okay if I just close my eyes and, and, and I drink it. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying do not drink alcoholic beverages. The Bible is clear. The word of the Lord is clear. And Daniel understands the teaching of Scripture. And so in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, as generous as the king is, providing food for them and wine from his table, Daniel is familiar with what the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 11 about what meats can be eaten and what meats can't be eaten. And he's also clear about the Old Testament teaching about wine, alcoholic beverages. Do not drink them. And so the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 that Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food or with the king's wine. Now remember, how old is Daniel? He's just a kid. He's 13, he's 14, 15, 16, 17 years old at the most. And so I ask myself, why begin an apocalyptic book this way? The book of Daniel is known for the great themes of of apocalyptic prophecy and the rise and the fall of nations and the revealing of the future. Why did God begin the book of Daniel with a story of four adolescents, with four youth, with 13 and 14 year olds, and they're faced with a dilemma about what to eat and what to drink? Why begin the book of Daniel in this way? You see, my friends, before God reveals the future of the world, He first needs to see if it's safe to reveal it. Before God reveals the future of the world, He first needs to see if it is safe to trust Daniel and his three friends with such an important message. The question for Daniel and his three friends are, will they be faithful to God? I I, I mean, how can they be faithful to God? They are captives. They are exiles. Mom and dad aren't around anymore. They're 13 and 14 year olds. And I know when we're that age, we just long for our parents to leave so we can maybe have the house to ourselves. And you know what happens when we have the house to ourselves when that age. Mom and dad aren't around anymore to tell Daniel what to do or what to eat or what to drink. The truth is they might as well give up on God. I, they've, been, they've been captured by a foreign power. Uh, their city has been destroyed. They're exiles. God hasn't come through for them. They might as well give up on God. Everything is going south for them. Will Daniel and his three friends be faithful to God? Uh, what does faithfulness to God even look like when you're 13 years old? Do, do we have any idea? Do we remember when we were that age? What does faithfulness to God even look like? What does the word faithful even mean? Daniel knew what the word faithful meant and what it looked like for him. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 4. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 4. 
I prayed, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed and I said, Lord, the great and the awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. What does faithfulness look like? Verse 5, we have sinned and we have done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled, he says. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. Sinning is doing, not doing what God asks us to do. And in Leviticus chapter 11, God asks us to eat certain things and not to eat certain things. In Proverbs chapter 23, he asks us not to drink certain things. The Bible says sin is the transgression of the law. But he says we have sinned and we have done wrong. We have been wicked and wickedness is just evil. Wickedness is just doing something that is evil. It says we have sinned, we have been wicked, and we have rebelled. Now this is a different type of sin, rebellion. Rebellion is, you know, sometimes, sometimes we all make mistakes, right? How many of you make mistakes? How many of you here are without a mistake? You know, sometimes just life gets the better of us, and we say things and we do things that, that, that we just wish we hadn't done, right? But rebellion is this. Rebellion is I know what I need to do. I know what God is asking me to do. I know that in Leviticus 11, he's asking me not to eat certain things. And in Proverbs 23, he's asking me not to drink certain things. I know that, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's what rebellion is. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. Verse 6, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. It's not like God was vague. It says, your your prophets, they spoke to our kings. They spoke to our princes. They spoke to our ancestors. They spoke to all the people of the land. It's not like God was, was ambiguous about what he wanted for them. And then verse 7, he says, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our, what does it say? Our unfaithfulness to you. Daniel knew what faithfulness looked like. And it simply looks like this. This is love for God to keep his commands and to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Daniel knew what faithfulness meant and what faithfulness looked like, and it looked like obedience. God says something, and we do it. How many of you as parents can testify that when you tell your child to do something, and that child instead asks, why? You just love that, right? That just makes your day, right? You've asked them to clean up their room, and they say, why? And you say, oh, and you give them a prize and a gift for asking why, right? You just love that. It makes your day, doesn't it? No. You tell them to do something and you expect them to do it, right? How do you think God looks at us when he tells us something clear and we're like, well, why? I don't want to do that. Daniel knew what faithfulness looked like. Faithfulness looked like obedience. In fact, I was reading this here just this week where it says the very first lesson of the Christian life The very first lesson of the Christian life is to love, trust, and obey. The very first lesson of the Christian life, love, trust, and obey. 
Oh, that we could learn that lesson. Oh, that we could learn that lesson that when God speaks, we trust what He says and we obey and we do what He says. Oh, that our youth could learn the lesson of obedience. And let me speak to our youth. You are in a critical stage of your life right now. 13, 14, 15. These are, this is a critical stage in your life right now. Even your young adult uh, 20s, 19s, 20s. You are going to come across experiences that you've never had before. And how important now in your age, in this time period, that you learn the lesson of obedience. To trust God and to obey what He says. Adults. Oh, that we could learn the lesson of obedience. I remember when I was a kid, I thought adults had it all together. I thought adults had it all together. But what I'm learning now as I also enter into adulthood is that as adults, we're just a bunch of big kids with less hair on our head. Isn't that right? We're just a bunch of big kids. Oh, that as adults, we could learn the lesson of obedience. And so Daniel has a choice here in Daniel chapter 1. He has a choice. What is he going to do? Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the, the, the serenity prayer. Uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. And someone went through the trouble of putting it up as a chart as well. A flow chart so we can follow this. So, so follow along with me here. There's a problem. And we look at the life of Daniel right now in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, and there are a lot of problems that he's facing right now. His circumstances are less than ideal. And so we ask ourselves the question, what in Daniel's circumstance can he change? Can he change the fact that he's in exile? No. And so if we cannot change it, then we ask for serenity to accept it. Can Daniel change the fact of his, the death of his parents? No. And so we ask for the serenity to be able to accept it. Can Daniel change the fact of his three years training or of his education in the king's service? No, he can't. And so we ask for serenity to accept it. But what is the thing that he can change? What is it that he does have control over? What is it, or at least, that he can attempt to change? What is it that he can attempt to change? He still has control over his heart. He still has control over his mind. He still can, have, can have, make the choice to be obedient to God. But he knows that being obedient to God will cost something. And so he knows he can change it. And so he asks God for courage to be able to change it. And this kid is only 13, 14 years old. Daniel can change. He can choose to obey. He can choose to be faithful to God. And in this context, faithful to God means not eating and not drinking what is being provided for him. Verse 9, the Bible tells us, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Let me tell you something. When we choose to be faithful to God, when we choose to trust God, when we choose to obey God, God will open doors for us. 
And, and he, will ca- he will allow his favor to come upon us. He will allow his grace to come upon us. Others will view us with grace. Others will have compassion and sympathy for us when we choose to be faithful to God. And in verse 9, the Bible says, it says, Now God had caused the official to show favor or to look upon Daniel with grace and with compassion and with sympathy. And Daniel has the courage. And again, he's only 13, 14 years old. I remember when I was that age and, and we went to the store and my mom had me ask something. And by the way, she's in the house today. When my mom had me ask something at 13, 14, I, I, was, I wouldn't even ask that. You know, go ask him how much this cost. I would be too embarrassed. I didn't have the courage to ask. Such a small thing, but here Daniel, as a 13, 14 year old, he has the courage to ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't cost anything to ask. He won't lose anything with asking. And Daniel asks with grace. He asks with tact. He asks with humility. In fact, the first time he asked uh, the guy, um, Ashpenaz, he was kind of uncertain. He was like, well, I don't know. I mean, if, 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 if we do do this and you end up being worse, it's going to be off with my head. Be thankful you don't have employers like that anymore. And so he's a little scared. He's a little timid. He's not sure. But, but Daniel, in his wisdom, he negotiates with Aspenaz. And he's not, Daniel isn't all or nothing. He's like, give us 10 days. He's so wise. Just, just give us 10 days. Test us. What is two weeks? Just test us. Daniel has this grace, this tact, this wisdom, this humility. And what Daniel does, I find, is interesting. Because Daniel goes the extra mile. Daniel doesn't just stick with the Leviticus 11 laws of clean and unclean meats. Daniel goes an extra mile. He takes this to another level. Notice what verse 12 says. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables. Some translations say pulse or, or legumes. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and, and water to drink. Daniel takes this to another level. Give us water and vegetables to eat. Daniel is saying, give us a plant-based diet. This is the first time since creation, since the Garden of Eden, since the manna that was given in the wilderness... This is the first time that a vegetarian diet is recorded in the Bible. Could there be, I don't know, I'm just asking, I don't know, I don't have the answers, but could there be a connection between apocalyptic prophecy and a whole foods plant-based diet? Could there be? Why would God begin the book of Daniel, a book which deals with the great themes of apocalyptic prophecy, with a story about four young people deciding to become vegetarian? And that's before it was hip and cool to be vegan and vegetarian. And Ashpenaz is a little bit scared. He believed in the fallacy, verse 10. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, I'm afraid that, that, that why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age. Ashpenaz believed that fallacy that if somehow you subsist on a plant-based whole foods diet, you'll be worse off. You won't get your protein. Have you heard that one? You won't get your protein and, and uh, you know, you'll need supplements or something like that. Verse 14, notice what happens. 
They're allowed to be tested for the 10 days, verse 14. He agreed to this and tested them for 10 days, verse 15. And notice the testimony. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. How many of you want to be healthy? How many of you want to even look healthy, right? Well, look healthier, you know, healthier and better than, than, than everyone, right? They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. That's what a vegetarian diet will do for you. It'll make you look healthy. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink, verse 16, and he gave them vegetables instead. Now, we're not sure how long Daniel continued with this diet, um, but it seems the text maybe implies that he continued this diet for the, for the next three years that he was trained. And verse 17, And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And verse 20, at the end of the three years, they come before King Nebuchadnezzar and he quizzes them and he asks them questions about what they learned. And verse 20 says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them, how many times? Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Will a vegetarian diet make you ten times better than everybody else? What a testimony. You see, my friends, God blesses us when we decide to be faithful to him and when we are obedient to him. As Seventh-day Adventists, not only do we promote the teaching of clean and unclean meats found in Leviticus 11... But we also promote the diet of a whole foods, plant-based diet of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and Daniel chapter 1. And indeed, the Bible tells us that there is a blessing when we follow what God asks us to do. Now, I want to share a a testimony here with you. If we could dim dim the lights. I want to share this testimony to you about how powerful a whole foods, plant-based diet is even today. And for those tuning in to our podcast, the video which we are about to see will be made available on our Facebook page and on our YouTube channel. Just search for the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Facebook page or YouTube channel, and you'll be able to watch the following video as well. Isn't that something? And, and it's noticed because he said, you know, we've, we've learned this last 25, 30 years. It says what he says. What's funny is because Seventh-day Adventists have been promoting this for the last 150 years. But even before that, the Bible tells us, even thousands of years before, uh, what perhaps may be the best diet that God is calling us to have. So what did we learn today? Apocalyptic prophecy begins with the story of four adolescents who decided to be faithful and obedient to God. For them, obedience looked like eating and drinking the right things. Why do we struggle with obedience? Why don't we trust Him that doing what He says is better? Why do we go ahead and we do our own thing, and then we wonder why life isn't working out for us? Oh, that we can learn the lesson of obedience at an early age. And as we said, there also may be some connection between apocalyptic prophecy, 
between obedience and a healthy lifestyle. What healthy life choices is God calling you to make today? Uh, Many in the Christian world now are are celebrating Lent. And Lent is about giving up something uh, that's probably negative for you. Typically what I do during Lent is I give up sugar because that's that's really my my weakness. I love uh, brownies. I love um, baked goods. I love donuts. Um, throwing a little bit of ice cream in there. I just love that stuff. I could, I could eat that uh, three times a day. Uh, that could be my, my meal. And so what I decide to do during this season of Lent is I, I give up the processed, the processed sugars. What can you give up for these next 40 days? What is God calling you to give up, perhaps? Or maybe what is God calling you to take up as a healthy habit? Could perhaps you eat a little bit healthier, perhaps exercise a little bit more, perhaps drink a little bit more water, perhaps exercise a bit more temperance, perhaps engage in a bit more of rest or breathe fresh air. What is God, what healthy choices is God calling you to make this morning? This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with them at www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.